How's working from home been going for you? Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track from managing your motivation, workload, relationships, all that, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcasting platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. A lot of people back down the bike. I didn't. I made it a point. I said, just tire him out. Tire the fuck out of him. You just got to tire him out. And I kept hitting him and banging him and hitting him and banging him. It took a toll on Mike. It took a toll. And then <laughs> resting him a little bit. And then the, the, the series changed. And I wish I could have did it earlier. I don't know if the outcome would have been different, but... It, it, it was a difference <laughs> and, and beating him down a little bit. The glove. I had no problem with the glove. Lock it in. There's like someone drilling next door to me right now. Can you hear? Yeah. Him? Congratulate them on the set. This is the basketball buzz. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Logic and reason with Zach Harper. Oh man, if you put Gordy in Atlanta, we can kiss Waz goodbye from Los Angeles. <laughs> Big Waz. Christine's beautiful words about pop are the yeah, this isn't for weed. This is a you know lifetime achievement award <laughs> right now. That he's I've been wanting to say that for a long time. South Blue Rise again. I'll tell you that much. I'm just gonna tell you what I think. I, I don't think it's inconsistent. You've been popped, right? Y- yes. He may have big bones, but he doesn't have big meniscus. What? Why would I wear pants or shorts or anything? Everyone does well when you have good results. Produced by Jade Hoy. This is a journey into sound. Mecca of basketball. Everybody knows if you go back in time, don't do anything. The ramifications can be quite severe. A journey which along the way will bring you new colors, new dimensions. What's up, buddy? Welcome to the Basket Buds edition of the Back to Back Podcast on the Athletic Podcast. Network. I'm Zach Harper. We've got Dave DeFour. We've got Mo Doc Hill. We have Wazi Lambert. We've got Michael Lee. We've got Jade Hoy pushing buttons. And we are reviewing episode seven and eight of The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan slash Chicago Bulls documentary on ESPN and Netflix and all that stuff. And uh, episode seven and eight dealt with the retirement, the murder of Jordan's father. Uh, the comeback, the you know first couple rounds of the '98 playoffs, the uh, the championship of 1996, all this stuff, and we got into the whole Mike's a bad teammate, Mike's a jerk, Mike's all this stuff, right? And and so we we basically got to this point where the discussion on Monday, we're recording this on Tuesday, the discussion on Monday was. You don't have to be a jerk to win a championship. And I just rolled my eyes when I started seeing all these takes and stuff. Because, Like, yeah, of course, there are multiple ways to win a championship and all this stuff. But to me, it's funny because, you know, we talk about, we're joking about before the podcast that John Stockton doesn't make the, uh, you know, doesn't or might not make the documentary because he didn't want to be a part of a Jordan Puff piece and people say this is a jordan puff piece and to a certain extent it is right like i don't want to i don't want to you know pretend it's not but michael like i look at this and i'm like okay we're presenting the psychosis of michael jordan like that's what this like here is how crazy 
lunatic this guy is, right, about all this stuff. And now you decide how you want to take that. So, yes, like, it, I'm not going to say it's not a puff piece, but I also think, like, it's just how you want to interpret his version of the story. Because what, what I find interesting, Michael, is it isn't just, like, Michael Jordan going back in time and saying, this is how I felt about this then. It feels like he still he still feels all of this stuff, all this anger, pettiness, whatever, all this driving stuff today. Like, I don't think this is him going, yeah, back in 96, this is how I felt. Like, I think this is this is how I feel. Yeah, I think that's what made him great is that he didn't look at it as the past. Everything was about trying to win in this moment. And I think that that's that's the one thing. Like, everyone's upset about how he went about doing it. But you got to understand he's uniquely being himself. He's leading the only way he knew how to lead. It was in him to berate his teammates. It was in him to punch guys in the face. It was in him to demand, to curse out people, to call out people, ho at the free throw line, do all these things. <laughs> That that was him. There was so he much was... calling people a hoe. I did not expect. I expected motherfucker ass all this stuff, right? I did not expect him to call everybody a hoe. He called everybody a hoe, but that 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 was him. And I think that's that's the one thing you think about leadership is that you have to be who you are, and that's what I take away from this. And everyone says, yeah, you don't have to be an asshole to win, but he had to be Mike to be a leader, right? He had to be himself. And that's who he was at all times. And I think for so many of us who are watching this documentary, we never really got to see this version of Mike because we saw the packaged Nike Gatorade pitch man that presented this image that wasn't necessarily him. And I think the one thing about this, you call it a puff piece or whatever you want. This is Mike being Mike. And this is Mike being a leader. This is his flaws. And this is everything about him that made him special. He had to be maniacal to win six championships in eight years. He had to be obsessed to want to win and to stay there and to destroy his opposition. Like that's who he was. So of course he's going to be demanding of his teammates because it's not a sport where he, it's a singular sport. He needed five guys out there who were either going to have his mentality or understand his mentality enough to know what they needed to sacrifice and what they needed to give up to help him get what he wanted. Cause if you're going to be on my team, you got to be in like I'm in. And if you're not in like I'm in, then I'm going to get you out of here. Yeah. And, and was like, this is, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to like put it. Like I'm trying to think of, is this generational? Um, Is this just, is it truly outdated? Not even a generational thing. Is it just an outdated mentality or is it, um, is it just a special case? You know, Ethan brings this up all the time. I think a lot of times media types and sort of more enlightened types don't understand the jock culture, where this isn't out of step with jock culture. It's out of step with, you know, egghead culture. It's out of step with intellectual culture, right? Like people who who like to think about um, business practices philosophically and all like it's out of step with that. But when it comes to sports culture, this is more normative than anything. And the bottom line is if they didn't win, which again, back when Mike wasn't winning, it was, you can't win a championship with the league's leading scorer on your team. You can't win a championship with a ball dominant wing. You can't do this until it happened. And then the, the narrative then becomes reverse. Right. And so the lesson here to me is not, Oh, Mike's Mike's approach was 
effective or ineffective. His mic was great. And so that's it. Like, you, people can choose to justify what he did by the results, and that would be fine. But guess what? If he didn't win, we'd be saying, you can't yell at people and win a championship. Right. That, like, that would, be, that would be what we were saying. So th- th- this happening in the reverse, it doesn't surprise me. And another thing that I noticed people don't talk about is I think the doc pretty effectively shows that this shit is in the context of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike spent time with Ron Harper. Mike spent time, um, took an interest in Scott Burrell and was actually friends with him, really close with him off the court. I think what what's not being talked about or addressed is that he had relationships with these guys off the court outside of the context of a practice court or actual game that, you know, was different. Like, I think about people who I might have played sports with, right? Like, I have a particular friend who we lived on the same block. We went to the same high school. We would play basketball in his backyard. And this guy would, like, I'm talking about, like, we're playing one-on-one. He would, like, draw contact and drop himself on the concrete to get foul calls. Like, this is in his backyard. He's doing this one-on-one. Like, this is how psychotic I didn't know he you is. grew up with James Harden. Yeah, that's I'm crazy. Sure. I thought he was from L.A. Like, and, if, and if, you know, if he would lose, we would go up, go into, go into his crib, drink Gatorade, and he wouldn't talk to me for two hours, right? But, like, this is just in the context of how he was when he was in that, you know, competitive moment. But afterwards, he's still one of my best friends to this day. This is understanding, like, all right, this is how this person treats competition. And I don't think it's hard for people that are around you all the time to understand that. I I think it's a bit overblown, especially because, again, you can contrast that with Kobe, especially with the first three-peat Lakers run. People say Kobe did not spend time with his teammates. So he's doing the Mike thing, and then outside of the court, he's alienating himself from them. So it's like, wow, like you're yelling at me at practice like you're better than me. And off the court, you don't hang out with me. Cause you're better than me. That's right. that's different. That's not what Mike was doing. Yeah, Dave. Right. It, uh, it, I I was gonna say like, like not comparing in any way, but for me personally, in my experience, like I'm a shit talker, right? I know that's surprising to people, but another surprising <laughs> yeah. thing is like I can be annoying in competition. Like when mm-hmm. I'm because I'm a trash talker. Like I don't stop. I don't stop talking trash. Like I, like that's just how I am. And so like I recognize like there are times like. People just don't want to be around me in a, on a basketball court. Like people are going to get, and it's not like, oh, I'm getting, I'm, you know, I'm so much, you know, in their head or anything like that. It, like it's just annoying, and whether that's yeah. like trash talking or berating or whatever, it's just not always going to line up for everybody. Uh, I mean, listen, I, I think what Mike was saying when they were playing and on the court was pretty tame, honestly. Like as, as I thought it was going like to be a lot some, worse, at least from the, some of the stuff we saw. that's come out of my mouth on a basketball court. I like you and the shit talker. And uh, yeah, that part was tame. The other thing is, and, and listen, uh, you know, you shouldn't punch your teammates, right? Like, it's not yeah, a good thing. Some teammates. Hang on. I, I just want to say, like, it's not a good thing to punch your teammates, right? Like uh, you hope that everything stops escalating before it gets to that point. But that shit sometimes happens. It, it shouldn't be the define if it's the defining moment of you as a teammate, then it's a big problem. Uh, now with Jordan, he probably, I mean, you know, he crossed that line a few times and, and, and maybe that's an issue, but you know, it's 25 years ago. So who really cares? Um, but with that being said, like, it's pretty clear that he had their best interests at heart and the team's best interests at heart. And I'm not trying to justify punching your teammate, but like, you know, if, if he didn't respect these guys, he just didn't fuck with them. And I think that you can see that like Waz mentioned that he had a relationship with Scott Burrell. He was trying to make Scott Burrell better. 
Now, I'm not, uh, again, he didn't punch Scott Burrell. I don't know what he was trying to do with Steve Kerr. I don't, I don't know. Uh, your your three-point shooter probably needs his eyes, so don't punch him in him. Uh, you know, be smart about it. But, uh, you know, it, it's pretty clear that that his teammates all knew where he was coming from with this stuff. Yeah, I mean, Mo, you've you've been a part of NBA teams, right? Like, like that. Uh, I have seen my fair share of fights. Yeah, that's like what that's we're about yeah, that, that's that's a like thing that's, that's, that's pretty regular. You, you worked with the Lob City Clippers, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, let me put it to you this way: at every level in which I've been involved in basketball, I've seen at least one fight in practice a season, and it just happens. Boils over, guys get into it. It's it's. Uh, competitive. It's, it's all of this stuff. None of this is shocking, you know, and, and people who are like, I can't believe there was, you know, Jordan punched somebody. I'm like, man, there's so many stories that never come out of dudes fighting in practice. That is just, it's, it's not like a normal, normal thing, but it's never a surprise when it happens. You have guys competing for spots. You have guys just getting frustrated with each other and, and things like that. So it's such an, it's not like such an aberration where you're just, my Lord, I can't believe he would punch somebody or or shove somebody. Even it's just like, come on guys. Like this happens, you know, more often than people want to admit. And it's, and at, 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 excuse me, at every level. So that's kind of just a normal uh, thing. It's just going to happen through the course of the season. Yeah. A lot of times you see guys say they have a cut over their head or a bruise he say how that happened? Oh, I got an elbow. No, he probably got punched in practice. <laughs> he didn't want to talk about it. A lot of those elbows that you hear about, oh, he caught an elbow. No, he somebody punched him in right in the face. I mean, I, I've I, seen I've been at a practice where there's been players specifically going at one guy to see what somebody was made of. There's stories of Bruce Bowen going at Manu when Manu first came in the league. Like there's there's all of that kind of mentality. So like Mike's saying, like, yeah, guys go at each other in practice sometimes. It's, it's I don't just remember, the way it goes. I don't remember stories of Manu getting kicked in the head. But maybe I guess I just didn't hear him. <laughs> <laughs> um what one of the things that came out of the documentary uh was the the stint in baseball. Um that look you don't have to be like we can nerd out baseball wise or whatever hitting 200 when you haven't played baseball yeah. in 14 years at the double a level is absurd like i don't think Pretty people good. realize like how ridiculous that is he started on a 13 game hitting streak, all that stuff right like yeah. we don't we don't have to turn this into the ethan strauss uh, baseball <laughs> yeah, pod yeah. by any means but like it's absurd what he did but part of that was he had to transform his body if you go to the athletic.com slash free 90 days you can choose from either 90 free days before you have you know, a trial before you subscribe to the athletic or you could do 50% off for one year. You get to pick either one. And if you do that, you can read Michael Lee's story on Michael Jordan transforming his body. Uh, Michael, I've read Tim Grover's book before. I think he's a psychopath, much like Michael Jordan. I think that's why they click. Um, he's a crazy person. Like his book is insane. His book is absolutely insane. I remember reading it going, well, this can't, this is, this is the work of a madman. Like this guy, just like I don't know that he can be he can be trusted in society, but um, that's part of the reason that Mike was able to be so incredible physically. Is this guy helped shape his body left to right? What did you learn from the whole reshaping the body from being a pro basketball player to being a pro baseball player? Well, one, I was just surprised that Mike wasn't as big as I thought he was. You know, um, at his you know as a basketball player, he said that the heaviest he got was two eighteen, which I thought at six six. That seems pretty light because yeah. um, you always feel like you hear the story about, you know, the Pistons beat him up. So he came back bigger and stronger. 
And it's like he was still pretty slender. He still was able to be so graceful and, and do those acrobatic, beautiful moves because he kept his weight down. Um, but for baseball, he had to get bigger because he had to work on his upper body. He had to be able to have some power. And so he got up to 233. So he put on close to you know 15, 20 pounds. And it was a three-month process of him just building strength. And um, and I think that's that's what made him so heavy when he came back in 95 is that, you know, he had spent so much time, you know, really just building strength, but also he had to retrain his muscles to do different things because as a basketball player, you know, you shoot the ball and you try to put arc on it, you know, because you want to get, you know, a greater chance for it to go in to the hoop, but you can't put arc on a throw. You got to fire that puppy, you know, (laughs) and keep it, you know, in a line. And that's, and that's what Michael had to do. He had to train his body for that. He had to, you know, figure out how to step into his throws, which is different from stepping into a jumper, you know, and, you know, just there's so many things he had to do to to get his body prepared for baseball. And that's why, you know, people say, you know, when he came back, that that wasn't really him in that 95 season. And it really wasn't. He was heavy and his body was not used. He didn't have the muscle memory, you know, all the muscle memory that he, that he would have had if he played a full season. But he was still getting 55. He was still having 39, you know, point games. So it looked like to most people, oh, he's still Michael Jordan, but he wasn't. And I think that's what made it remarkable that he played those 27 games, you know, while while it's in a in the body of a baseball player. Um, but he really had to reconstruct himself um, and then do it again to get back to be that dominant player um, that summer after they lost to the Magic. And a lot of it had to do with that Space Jam summer, which <laughs> was really amazing that he had, you know, the, the whole um, the Jordan Dome built, you know, for him at, at, the, at the filming of that movie. And he used it not just to train, but to study the opposition. They had no idea that they were playing these games, but Michael was using his opportunity to scout them so he could beat them. So this is the type of guy. Yeah, he's that a you're talking psychopath. About. He's so obsessed with winning (laughs) that he's like, I'm going to beat you in these games, but I'm also going to figure out all your tendencies so that when I go up against you next season, I'm going to destroy you. And that's that's how he was thinking. He was plotting the whole time. And that's why he wound up winning three in a row, because his his mind was just thinking differently than everybody else. Everybody's just like, I'm getting a good run. I'm staying in shape. Mike's like, yeah, I'm getting that, too. But I'm also going to get in that tail as soon as we play each other. Well, that's something that they didn't touch on in the doc, but that that I've noticed uh, looking back is that you can really break his career up with that baseball season. His body is different in that second three-peat. So part of what made him so amazing during the first part of his career is that he was so explosive, but he also had this crazy flexibility. You can watch when he drives, like his shin angle is, I mean, it's one of the craziest like downhill angles I've ever seen from a a basketball player. Part of what made him so good at getting around guys, getting to the basket. And then when he comes back, he's not as flexible. And I think that it's, it's because he, you know, he put on all that weight, put on all that size. And then he essentially said, okay, well, I don't really want to lose it. I just want to be the stronger version of what I was before. So he lost flexibility, but he was so much stronger. And then that second run, you can see where he, you know, he actually uses that fadeaway a lot more, uh, kind of like LeBron has done later in his career. There's so many little things that changed in his game where he, instead of adapting his body back to the old body, he really adapted his game to his new body. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got Trevon Edwards on speaking of our, our own relentless, athlete here on the podcast uh you've used you've used the attack model right the attack training system yeah man it's super intense 
Um, it's real quick. It's, it, it's uh, open up your fast twitch muscle and increasing um, your vertical and speed. And man, it's probably one of the toughest six to eight weeks of, of my life, honestly. But the results were amazing. What were the results? Like what? So I increased my vertical leap uh, eight inches. So I was jumping about 42. Um, I can go between my legs, dunk behind my back. I mean, I, wow. before then, I could only do maybe like a one hand or a two hand dunk. But this just kind of gave me that leverage of like, I already could have, like palming a ball is like a cheat code, but I'm I'm 6'1". So having a 42 inch vertical and being 6'1", kind of just gave me that advantage to dunk on bigger guys. Um, but everything was just Olympic lifting from deadlifting and, you know, power cleans and, and, and quick jumps and a lot of plyometrics. And it's so fast and you get a short recovery time that it demands so much out of your body that you have to kind of eat a lot too to, 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 to replenish those muscles that you've overworked. I'm shocked you had to go to attack to get the same vert as me, dude. <laughs> no, it was no, 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 no. It was forty-two inches, not four to two inches. It was. Oh, yeah. Oh, I missed. Yeah, yeah, that. You, Sorry, yeah. No, I know. Oh, the bro- oh, audio broke up a little bit there, most. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. no, okay, yeah. okay. Four to, two, four to two inches, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, that was so. When he comes back, and he's got to transform his body again, right, Michael? Like he's got to transform his body again. He comes back, and he doesn't quite have it. I think he shot what he shoots forty-one percent from the floor in those those seventeen games back. Uh, when he when Scotty called him back on TV, right? Uh, he he does that, and then he gets eliminated by the Orlando Magic. And being the crazy person he is, he starts lifting the next day, starts working out the next day right after that. <laughs> um, and he and well, he the comes, same day actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess the same day, and he and he comes back and uh, and then has that singular focus to to win the championship to get seventy two wins. Uh, doesn't mean a thing without the ring. Um, and and gets back to getting the Orlando Magic in the in the playoffs. And I don't know if people remember this, but back then, because it seemed like Shaq always got swept out, right? When like when he lost a playoff series, they got swept out, and it, and yeah. he gets swept out again. And that was a weird that was a weird thing how Shaq and Penny lost like by getting swept. Like if they lost, they really lost. And Michael was the latest one to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just incredible because they were they were meant to be next. I mean, they was meant to be Shaq. I mean, uh, Magic and Kareem, Shaq and Tech and Penny were going to be Magic and Kareem. I mean, second year Penny is probably one of the more underrated players. I mean, he was just a sensation. I mean, he was incredible that year. And in 96, like that was when they were really like that was I thought that was going to be it for them. And it almost feels like, you know, Mike stole something (laughs) from basketball history because he was so determined to not ever, you know, lose again. And, you know, what was meant to be was supposed to be those Orlando Magic teams kind of rule in the second half of the 90s. But Michael said, I'm going to run this whole decade. And I think it's funny. Uh, uh, I think I saw uh, Penny say recently that when uh, the Magic lifted up Horace Grant and put him on his shoulders, that immediately in that moment, he knew they were in trouble if they ever saw Michael get in the playoffs. Because that was the one thing you were talking about, set him off. It didn't take much to get him going because you saw that he could even make up his own sources of motivation. But you lift up Horace Grant in the United Center, in his gym. You're gonna make sure he's gonna make sure that he humiliates you the next time he sees you, and uh, and that's 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 what he was all about. Like it's not just beating you; it's not just barely getting by. I think one of the reasons why he still hates Isaiah Thomas to this to this day 
is because Isaiah is three and one against him. Yeah. Like he got the last one, but he's not two two. Like Isaiah can walk around to this day and say, you know what? I beat Mike three of the four times I faced him. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but <laughs> he didn't own me. Right. And, and that I think that's part of the reason why there's so much hatred there. Um, but everybody else he got. And then, you know, if you're a Magic fan, you always hold on to that Shaq Penny's kind of era. It was such a, a brief moment in time, but it just got Mike just snatched it away. And then Shaq was like, I'm going to the Lakers. And <laughs> and that 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 just I mean, if I'm I mean, Orlando fans have to be crushed because, you know, that was supposed to be the time when this new generation sort of started to take over. But Mike wasn't giving it up. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember when when they beat the Bulls in '95. I was like, "All right, Shaq and Penny's league, like it's over, right?" Like, yeah. I, and then even in '96, I was like, "I, I'm pretty sure I thought Shaq and Penny were going to win that win that series, even though the Bulls were so good." Like, I just believed that it was it was their league. Uh, Mo, you've got uh, you've got a story about Michael Jordan's attitude towards sweeping. Yeah, when I was with Team Australia, we were qualifying for the Olympics, and it's not very hard for Australia to qualify for the Olympics. You just got to beat New Zealand two out of three times, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. And uh, Luke Longley was one of our assistant coaches, and the we had beaten New Zealand the first two games, so we've already qualified for the Olympics. But by rule, we had to play the third game anyway. So, you know, after practice, we have a pretty crappy practice just before the game, and you know. Luke kind of turns to Brett Brown and says, bring the guys in. I want, I want to say something to him. And this is one of the few times he would really talk about Jordan. Uh, but he literally just looked at the guys and he said, listen, the one thing that made MJ the best was we would go up three Oh, and he still wanted to squash you. He wanted to put his foot on your neck and he wanted to make sure you were dead. He wanted to make sure you had no life in you up three Oh, he'd come in the locker room going like, do not think we're letting up just because we're up three Oh, we are sweeping these dudes. We are going in there and we are crushing them. We are leave no doubt. And sure enough, it worked. Next day we go play New Zealand and beat the living crap out of them. <laughs> Was this, this leads me to one of, my least favorite revisionist history things in, in NBA history, which is when people say, you know, the Sonics pushed the Bulls as much as anybody, right? Because it went six yeah. games, except they were down 0-3 in the series. And we get the whole story about, like, Gary Payton switched on them and Michael Jordan. Yes. All right. It, yes, technically, that helped things. Like, they avoided the sweep and everything. But you but, were down 3-0 when it Right, happened. you were down 3-0. And also, that context matters. Mike, Mike had three good shooting games in that series, three bad shooting games in that series. Two of the bad ones happened in the in games four, five, and six, right? Four, four he has a terrible mm-hmm. shooting game. Six, he has a terrible shooting game. But this, like, I, I laughed at the Gary Payton stuff just like Mike did because... And it's not to say Gary wasn't effective on him and they and they doubled and tripled him with Gary as the primary defender. Like they threw guys at him, right? But this idea that the Bulls had problems with the Sonics is laughable to me because yes, all right, let's say Gary's on him for the whole se- whole series, right? Yeah, he probably shoots a little worse and it probably has to work a little different. The Bulls still win that series. They just win it a different Gosh. way. Well, they won game six and he wasn't very good in yeah, that Yeah, exactly. Game. It didn't matter, right? He was right. fine. Like Dennis Rodman was probably the finals MVP in that series. Like, you know, if we go back and look at the numbers or whatever, but yeah, I mean, 
That, that Bulls oh, team they was were never so gonna, much better. They were never going to Iguodala him. They were never going to Iguodala Mike. Yeah, of course. I would have loved to see <laughs> MJ's reaction if somebody else got Oh, him. he would have played, he would have played Dennis one on one for it. Right from Dennis Rodman. Yeah, right. Not in David Stern's NBA. Not, no. Would he have pulled a Kanye, Taylor Swift, Beyonce thing? 100%. No, no, no. He would have straight jacked Dennis. He wouldn't have said a word. <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. Like, that's just this chain. Like, give me that. Dennis Rodman, you're lucky you're allowed to even stand on the stage right now. <laughs> lucky, I, no, lucky I brought Zach, you back from Vegas. Like this. What you what you're saying is 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 completely right. Um, it's it's the NBA playoffs. Like the idea that Mike or Phil couldn't have come up with an adjustment for a dude three inches shorter than Mike guarding him. I. I, I I'm sorry, I have to go on the side of Mike here and think he maybe would have figured it out throughout the course of the series if they started this series with GP. I mean, I don't know. History might indicate that Mike probably figures out how to be effective against Gary Payton. Great a defender as Gary Payton is, but I want to talk about something else that was related to that. It's, you know, he talks about George Carl not saying hi at dinner, and they're Carolina guys, they're Dean Smith guys, they should have said, he should have said hi to him. There's a bond that they have. He should have did that even in the midst of stiff competition. B.J. Armstrong having the nerve to celebrate a good win and a big upset victory. That pissed Mike off. Like, I'm struck just by, like, Mike's just hypersensitivity. Like, that's what it is. Like, that's just what it is. Like, we, and, and it's funny because we we mock and we laugh at guys for being sensitive, and Mike gets praised because he's sensitive, but he's also reactionary. Like he's also like he's just a straight up reactionary dude for whatever reason. People like that. People are like, oh, he's sensitive, but he went back and he killed them and he smacked the we, guy. We like it when it comes uh, to when uh, it leads to wins, right? That's right. when we like it. Well, there's yeah. a lot of stuff with Mike, though, that, again, uh, someone brought this up. I can't remember who it was, but, like, the the Pistons not doing the handshake. If Michael Jordan had done that, it w- we would feel totally different about it, or at least it would be painted differently. Oh, man, he was just so mad about losing. You know, that's a real winner's mentality or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, there is a little bit of, like, a double-edged coin. I think coin. the Pistons thing is whack because Mike and them shook their hands when they lost. It's just like, just return the favor, fam. Like, at, like at, at a certain point, it becomes like, like they gave y'all the courtesy of doing that. But you can say whether or not, oh, we don't need to be doing this. They did it for y'all, to y'all. They gave y'all that respect. Look y'all in the eye after y'all kicked their asses yeah. in a very well, dirty fashion, by the way. Like, let's face it, the Pistons were fucking dirty. Um, and they still shook your hands after it. It's just right. like, all right, y'all could have extended that courtesy just because they did it. I mean, it's just that, an example, really right? Like, yeah. if LeBron James had punched Mo Williams, we would we would all probably have had a really hard yeah, time. Yeah, they would have killed. He would have got killed for that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Or, or Sasha he, I mean, they would. I mean right. the the freaking. I mean at the time and the 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 articles that were coming out of Yahoo at that time, like LeBron is basically King Joffrey. Um, he would have got destroyed for that. <laughs> he would have got killed for that. Oh, why is it? There were articles coming out of Yahoo at that time. <laughs> Never mind. We'll move on. Like, we'll move on. Uh, you can go back and read those things, man. Like these things were freaking graphic novels. Real talk. <laughs> Once again, can we talk just, about Mike though? Just in that in that locker room in Charlotte with the oh cigar and the bat. That oh. is, was that the most gangster scene of the whole so thing? So funny. The quote. The quote I love amazing. that scene. 
I'm like, he's smoking a cigar with a bat. Like, I'm gonna bust y'all heads tomorrow. <laughs> and it was I mean, it, it brought it, it brought flashes of the movie Untouchables when Al Capone yeah. smashes some dude's head in with no, a bat. No, he thought he was, he thought he was Al some... Capone. Like, yeah, I, I was mean, honestly, I was waiting, wrong, I was waiting for Scott Burrell to walk in and him just get cracked. And I'm like, oh, exactly. I didn't know that like happened. If the wrong guy walked in, bam, he played for Charlotte, right? Yeah, he did. He was drafted yeah, by him, did. right? Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing, Trey. Like that—that that moment is peak insanity. Because what's funny to me is someone's like, "Mike, you upset?" He's like, "No, I'm not upset." He's just calmly like measuring the bat, right? Just holding the bat, <laughs> holding it out there, smoking a cigar, and then you see, and then it cuts back to him where he's got like his feet up and he's just kind of nodding his head. I was like, "Oh, he's gonna murder somebody!" Like that's what yeah. I thought was gonna happen. Yeah, he just mentally coped it and already planned it because it's just it just kind of eats at him. And he can't wait to attack because he's just like, it reminds me of Donald Sterling's and big old Magic Johnson. What is what? he doing? It was like, <laughs> it was, it big was, old BJ Armstrong. Us, BJ Armstrong. What has he done? I've given him this. Well, yeah. This is how he repays me. And, you know, obviously BJ just got caught in the moment, you know, but even what, Glenn what, Rice knew. But like, Trey, what, what, what are we he, doing? Trey, what did he do wrong? He hit a clinching shot of a playoff game against but a team they that they were supposed to lose gotta, to. Listen, and he, you and act he, like you've been there before, Zach. No. You oh, no, you, that's your only chance. <laughs> and by the way, throughout the documentary, a lot of people are explaining to you like, when Mike gets one over on you, he never lets you forget about it. Never lets you forget about it. He doesn't do the act like you've been there. He's like, yeah, I beat you. I beat you. I beat you. Not that they won the series, but BJ had a nice moment in a big spot, right? Like, it's a second-round playoff game. He, it's probably the greatest play. Well, no, you shouldn't say that. Outside of this Bulls championships, it's probably the greatest professional accomplishment of his life, you know, was was that game. So, I I don't understand what BJ was supposed to do there. Just, it's, I mean, it's the other thing, like too. A, I mean, Mike's acting like a pitcher whose beans are batter after they right, hit home exactly. run. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> exactly. That's the, exactly. the other thing about BJ in that moment, too, is that, you know, he, he mentioned it. They mentioned that he had their breakfast at Baker Square, um, and they and then Michael went to the facility and played him one-on-one. And uh, I did a story back in March about this, but what they didn't mention was that Michael was in street clothes when he played BJ one-on-one. He was in his loafers. Oh wow! He like because <laughs> BJ had the audacity to say, um, you know, because he was getting ready to go to practice. He was taped up, had his shoes on, sweats, everything. He's ready to go, and he had the audacity to say to Mike, you know, I think right now I could probably beat, you, I could probably bust your ass right now. Like he told him that, and Mike was like, no, let's go right now. They went straight <laughs> to the facility from the breakfast. Mike is in his loafers. This is, and he said it was like a snowy day, so he had like soot and stuff on his shoes. And he's determined to beat B.J. Armstrong in that moment in his street clothes, just because he had the audacity to say it. And he beat B.J. <laughs> so, like, B.J. had had a right to get to to say to say something after getting the win because he got he got schooled by a dude who in was loafers. in street clothes who hadn't played baseball in eighteen months. Well, that's the thing. What's the what's the story? What's the Buzz Peterson story? That Buzz Peterson was his roommate in college, and Michael had never played pool before, right? So he's like, "Oh, you want to play pool?" And he teaches him how to play pool, and then he beats him, right? Buzz Peterson beats Michael Jordan in pool because Michael never played before, and Buzz has played a lot, and so they're roommates in college on the North Carolina basketball team. Like Mike doesn't talk to him for two weeks. They're roommates. On the, like they do everything together because they're on a team. They're in classes together. All he doesn't talk to him for two weeks. Two weeks later, 
He said, hey, Buzz, you want to play pool? Oh, yeah, sure. And Mike destroys him because all Mike had been doing for two weeks was teaching himself how to be good at pool because he had lost. Because he had lost to someone who was doing, who had done it before and he hadn't done it. Like, that's the, that's the level of psychosis we're dealing with here. You got to have it, though, man. You got to have it. That's the same way just taking any challenge, dude. Didn't like, he get obsessed with ping pong at one point? I think yes. so, yeah. Bro, he's cheated in goldfish, bro. He's done hit cards. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about right now? Somebody that's competitively playing goldfish, like, you just leave, bro. To even sit down at a, at a poker table with Mike, it's 100,000 buy-in. Like, this dude is coming... He just want to have the idea to say, I beat you or I took your money. Didn't matter what it was, man. And you just have to be that psyched out. So the fact that most of the time he even lied about or fabricated like on some situations of a player saying something or, you know, having this idea or going in an attack mode. It was always crazy to say that, you know, this person said this about me. So this is why I'm going to drop this on him. And it's like he never said good game, Mike. You know the, the Washington game, and it's oh yeah, like, the LeBrad that David Lebrett just told us this story in August on the on the podcast, <laughs> the LeBrad for Smith story. That's that's Never crazy. Had. That's crazy. <laughs> Got to Pop the DA for getting the SNL. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, what, who was it? Chris Red was was playing him. Like, yeah. oh my god, that's so funny. Um, uh, if. Mike wasn't an athlete. Would he have just been a serial killer? Like, this is the kind of stuff I'm taking away from him. Yes, 100%. (laughs) None of this is normal. And, uh, like, the only other arena in life that's not athlete, you can think of, like, maybe somebody becoming a lawyer. And even then, like, a lot of it is just, like, you know, you're settling out of court, you're getting money for people, you're doing, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no other way to replicate this insane need to just be competing with people at all times. Um, but at the same time, like, again, like people who are like, well, there's other ways to do this again. Like this is this dude telling his own story. Um, the idea that he shouldn't be defending what he did or defending his legacy or his record. Like what else was he, is he supposed to do on a documentary? Like, I guess people can say that, you know, others should have been brought on to maybe rebut what Mike was saying, um, I don't think it's that hard to do it on your own is what I'm like. The idea that somebody can't be like, well, damn, was Tim Duncan got five championships? Did he do all of this shit? No. OK, so then it doesn't have to actually be this. You know what I'm saying? Like, how hard is it for other people to come up with alternative ways of winning and being um, than but, what but is presented on the doc? Like, was, why do we have to why do we have to like whine about it, though, as a collective? Right. Because that's, what it, that's what it felt like Monday. It felt like people were just whining about it. Like, oh, you don't have to be this way. Then don't be that way. That worked for Mike. And it, it the, oh, the results were outstanding, right? Like, yeah, I mean, and, that, and, that's, and that's for Mike to deal with on a daily, monthly, yearly basis, right? Like, you don't have to deal with that for Mike. That's on him to deal with that mentality forever. Like, Right. And no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, was just, I, don't, I just don't get why we have to, why we then have to, like, have this like you know court case about it yeah i mean like that's kind of the role of a leader sometimes the leader doesn't necessarily going to be your friend he's going to be a guy you might not like it's going to be a guy that's going to push you and you heard those guys all talk about it well wellington uh uh, uh winnington bush winnington sorry yeah. uh bushler kerr all those guys said like it did push us though you know like it may not have been the most amazing 
experience in that sense, but it pushed them to reach greater heights that they probably wouldn't have if they didn't have a psychopath pushing them. And, you know, Waz, when you mentioned Tim Duncan, everybody said Tim Duncan didn't have to do it. Right. He didn't have to do it because he had pop doing it, you know, and it's, you know, and you look at it and the other way around, Phil didn't have to be like pop because he had Jordan on these dudes. He got to play the good cop and it's a whole different dynamic in that sense. And this is the thing that people don't look at. And, you know, like Zach, I'm with you when everybody's like, man, you don't have to be this way. I said, leadership takes its form several different ways and other people are motivated by different factors. Right. And some guys do it one way and some guys can get pushed by getting screamed at. Some guys can't. And, you know, uh, Mike said it at the beginning of the podcast, Jordan, you know, this is just who he is and he can't lead being somebody else. He's got to be true to himself. And if he's an asshole, he's going to lead like an asshole and he's got to have guys that can roll with him. And it works six times. How much of this is informed by how absolutely sorry those Chicago teams were that he got drafted to? Like he didn't get drafted to a team with Kareem and Worthy and Parrish and McHale and, and DJ and all of these great players. He played with bums, literally bums until Scotty and Horace came on board. Like those teams were terrible. Like the mentality that he took on, it makes sense when you're playing with nothing but bad players where literally you can't get anything done that you don't will into existence like by yourself. Like, I think that informs a lot of Mike's approach where he's like, look, we never got shit done when I wasn't absolutely a maniac. Right. And then, you know, it's also, it wasn't just Jordan who had this mentality. Bird was competitive like that and would ride his teammates. Magic would ride guys. Bill Russell. We just, Bill Russell. It's across the board. Like there's a, a, a level of that. We just look at it right now with Jordan and saying like, man, that's just too mean. You know, and sometimes it's just like, guys, sometimes you got to get that tough love. Sometimes you got to have to be able to take it because it can't always just be, oh, it's OK. You'll make the next one, you know, and and, and they're not even yelling at him for missing shots. They're yelling at for effort and things like that. So it, it just kind of I'm with you, Zach. I really rolled my eyes Monday to the reaction of everybody kind of like, oh, so mean and so harsh. I said, this is just who he was. And, you know, if you wanted to ride with him, you had to be able to take it. Yeah, yeah I, I actually would be very interested in Phil Jackson's opinion on the way Mike was with his teammates. I mean, they kind of, they talked about it a little bit, but I want to know if, if Phil and Mike ever had a, you know, like a sit down and said, all right, I'm the good cop. You're the bad cop. Yeah. I I think that made it it easier for Phil. Right. Because Mike wouldn't be able to get away with this if it wasn't for Phil. Like Phil had to be able to come in you know, like swoop in like a, like a guy watching a girl get broken up with trying to get the rebound. You know, he had to be able to come in and pick these guys up when Mike tore him down. And, and so it was like a little bit of a, like a useful tool for Phil as a coach. So it doesn't work without that, that dichotomy. And it worked again for Phil when Kobe became exactly. the leader of the Lakers, you know, cause Shaq led in a different way. He was more gregarious and playful and, you know, he was, he got passion every now and then, but you know, Kobe was the intense one. And then when Shaq was gone, Kobe was still the intense one. So, you know, Phil had to lean on that kind of leadership, the beratement of teammates and the belittling, and, you know, to, you know, to build them, you know, breaking right. down to build them up type thing. So it worked for Phil, you know, his whole career. And I think that goes back to what these guys said earlier about Kobe, not quite earning it because he didn't put in the work off the basketball court with these guys, the way Mike did. You know, Mike, uh, again, lifting up these guys, Scotty Burrell, like making sure that they know, hey, listen, I want you to be great. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I thought I thought that was the funny thing of him. You know, they show the practice footage, right? And he's calling everybody a hoe, and he's he's just on Scott Burrell. He's like, I'm he, he's picking like I'm on you. You know, you're guarding me, all this stuff, right? And and it, it seeing Michael talk about that, and he kind of cracks a you know a, a smile and a laugh at one point, and just says, "I was trying to get him to to fight me, sort of." And he's like, "And just Scott is just too nice of a guy." Right, because we see right. that we saw the plane footage where he calls him an alcoholic to the to the camera. Like, like he is on Scott all the time. I think a lot of it is, especially the off the court stuff, is maybe it may be inappropriate, but it is playful ribbing. Right, like that is just like busting balls. Like that's very um, locker room culture and everything. And there's some good and bad aspects of of that. But to me, it is like like you guys said, it is the he's putting in work off the court to make sure he knows that you know that on the court. If I push you, it's out of respect and love, right? Like now right. it can still go too far. You can berate too much. Like I, I'm not saying it's all a good method, but it worked for them. Yeah. And I'm going to work for them in a way it say work for the Washington Wizards. You know, right. Yeah, Kwame Qua- didn't quite have the Scott Burrell right. um, <laughs> mentality there. But he didn't have Phil. He had Doug Collins, who was also jumping on him. Don't so know, just start on that Doug Collins like fraud. Cared about him. Phil even... was there to kind of, you know, massage guys after, you know, uh, Mike beat him down. Doug Collins was there to remind people that he had coached Michael Jordan before. <laughs> well, the only thing that comes out of his mouth. What did, my, what did Doug Collins? I'm do just to sick of it, man. He didn't do anything to me. I'm just sick of it. We get it, you coach Mike. Break down a play, you know. <laughs> but you know, back to the to the pop Tim Duncan dynamic, and, and that was the opposite. Where where Tim Duncan was the guy that come in and put his arm around you, and Pop was the guy that chewed everyone out. And the reason Pop was able to to you know he could chew out anybody because he could chew out Tim. Also, but also it goes to he had relationships with these guys too. Right. Like there have been times where I've seen him light a dude up in a film session, and then as they're walking to the practice court, you know, he puts his arm around him and like pops kind of, you know, talking to him in a, in a calm voice or whatever. And that's one through fifteen. I've seen him do it with a bunch of guys. So, you know, it's you know, pop had that relationship aspect to it. In the same way, we talk about Jordan off the court being able to talk with. Scotty Burrell and, and, and having his guys and things like that. It's, it's such a key element, right? Like you can't just berate a guy, you know, without having any sort of relationship with him. And I think that's where all this stuff kind of comes into understanding and every team's different, you know, and everybody's going to have to deal with their dynamics differently. And it might work for some and won't work for others. And what you had success with in one place, you know, and you're a coach and you go to the next place may not necessarily work, you know, because yeah. you don't have those same guys or, or those relationships. <laughs> <Tom Thibodeau. yet. laughs> Sorry. So, you know, can, can we talk about the Scotty Pippen not coming into the game? Oh yes, please. Mm. Okay. Oh my God. So mm. it, now listen, hindsight being what it is like, first of all, I can totally understand Scotty's position in the moment. I get it. Right. Like that was his team. He had been doing everything all year. I understand it. I was shocked when he said he wouldn't do it any differently. <laughs> yeah, I, I was too. And I think one thing that's missing from that too was that everyone jumped on MJ's, you know, leadership style. You realize how much it was needed for the Bulls to be successful. Right. Because him sitting on the bench broke the Bulls. Like yeah. they lost that series. They weren't good the they, next season too, Michael. Like and, they were, and they were an average team. They were a 500 team the next season without Michael. So 
you know, for whatever it is, you know, greatest guy Scotty was, how much everybody loved him. He that 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 situation broke that team, and they didn't recover till Michael came back. So everyone who's jumped on Michael and said, "Oh, I can't believe that he would yell at his teammates and punch him and do all these things," well, he never quit on them. He never did anything where they could, you know, question his commitment to them and what he was all about. When Scotty did that, there were some doubts. Like, is he all in with us? I mean, they never had to wonder. Retirement is cooling. If Kuko, well, yeah, all right, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) I feel like there was some (laughs) extenuating circumstances that led to that, but yes, that is technically quitting. No, but Mike's point is well taken. It's like you know, if you're the leader of the team, you 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 have to be setting the example of what the standard for the team is. And if the standard is I play when I want, when I feel like I'm being catered to. That's a terrible standard to set well, as the, you know, undisputed leader. Yeah, also, you have to be a leader there and hijack the possession, right? <laughs> like, just go take the ball. <laughs> just go just go play. Yeah, go play free safety. Take the pass that you you know where the ball's going. It's going to, going to Tony. Just take the pass. Go but there, be the Tony hero. Sticking, so, Tony sticking that shot made it worse. If oh, absolutely. Misses, if he misses, then Scotty has a point, right? It's still bad. It's, it's still bad. So. Yeah, right. exactly. The but, one thing I'd say, though, is the aftermath of it immediately in the locker room with Bill Cartwright giving right. a speech and, and crying and all this stuff and it being a really em- emotional moment. Did it feel to anybody else that it did kind of bring them together a little bit for the rest of that series? I mean, they for, send it to seven games. I mean, Scotty goes off the next couple of games after that. Like, it almost felt like it did kind of have a a ability to kind of bring them closer together after that moment, as bad as it was, it did feel like after that, they, they kind of banded together a bit. Yeah. But, but I, man, I don't know. Like the the Knicks won the series. Yeah. yeah, I think that, I think that kind of ruins it. Overall, overall it was detrimental. I mean, I like, I've got a dog named Pippin because he's like a guard dog but he didn't always come when I called him like that's literally why I named him Pippen <laughs> and Scotty Pippen was one of my favorite players of all time. I, I remember that moment distinctly. I, I, w- I remember just being really mad about it. I was like, I don't know, 13, something like that. 14. I was pissed at Scotty Pippen forever until, you know, Jordan came back and then it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, that I, was, I'm, I mean, I'm he th- lo- like he lost a lot of people because of that. Yeah, like I think, like what's the? I mean, it's not nearly the same thing, but Rodney Hood refused to come into a game, right? And yeah, it, you know, within the last couple of years, and <laughs> and like Rodney you think Hood. about it, if that's a if that's a star player in a high pressure situation in the Twitter age, we, we'd still be having a, a you know a, a live special on that. I can moment, hear Skip right? Bayless right now. God. That's the worst <laughs> sentence you can say out loud. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, like but, it's 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 one of those moments, and um, I t- I too was like Dave, I was shocked when Scotty said I wouldn't change it. Yeah, it was just really weird. I mean, you know, it's twenty five years I, of hindsight, and you're right. like, nah, I, I I agree, I agree with myself. Yeah, and, and so I I just feel like I, I wonder if you know privately he feels different. I I don't know because I don't I don't know him, but um you know I doubt, and, and, I, doubt I doubt if he did because I mean if you look at the whole situation yeah. if if it was the play was called for Tony Kukoc right who you you knew how he felt about him and just 
what Jerry Krause had done to bring him over and uh, the financial, you know, spouts he had with the organization, spouts he had with the organization and Jerry Krause in particular. For him, it, it probably felt like in that moment that Krause was winning and that they were picking Kukoc over him. Yeah. And so I, I can see why he still, even years later, is upset about it. He was wrong, but I can yeah. understand why he said he wouldn't do anything differently because for him, it wasn't just that they were just running a play for somebody. They were running a play for a guy who we saw as a threat and as somebody who was viewed as possibly a replacement to him one day. Right. And so I think that that'll always linger. That'll always be there. doesn't make him right in that moment, but I understand. I understood where he was coming from, and I could see why he would not back down from that to this day because he felt like that in that moment, and nothing after that changed the way he felt. Yeah. And this is one of the things where it's a differentiator between Michael Jordan and other guys because two of the biggest shots hit during that run were hit by, you know, bit role players, Steve Kerr, John Paxson. Yeah. And I don't think Mike would change it. Right. Well, even that, even, you know, we got the, the kind of storyline of game five of the 91 finals fourth quarter. Michael starts finding John Paxson for all these jumpers, right? It's like, Oh, he learned to trust his teammates. And like, if you look at like, he averaged 11 assists for that series. Right. Right. Like, (laughs) like it was like, he was trusting everyone. I don't know how many, maybe he had 30 assists to John Paxson that fourth quarter to bump the numbers up. But like he, like he was trusting his, his teammates in that. And, and I think, you know, that incredible moment where at the end of episode seven, where Michael gets emotional talking about this is the way he plays. Right. And, and says that he mm-hmm. needs a break. But he says in that little you know monologue of of I like they knew I never asked a player to do something I wouldn't do. Right. And that and that's and that ends up being the difference between and look, like I don't even know that it's fair to compare Scotty and, and Mike in those in those roles. Right. It's very different players in history as good as Scotty was. But um, but that that shows the kind of the dichotomy there of, of, you know, Scotty was not willing to do that in every single moment. Whereas Michael was so maniacal that he, he was going to be that in every single moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not to end it on a super uplifting note, but we should get <laughs> into the, the murder of his father and the retirement um, shortly after, because uh, Michael, like this is obviously like one of the biggest moments in NBA history um, and, and just the timing of it, like the timing of it all is so, is so crazy to me because, um, you know, late, late July, early August is when the murder and the, you know, finding his, James Jordan's body happens. Um, I think they showed that Michael addressed the press on like, so I think they, I think they found the body on August 3rd and I think they, they, you know, he had a press conference on August 18th. So we're, you know, roughly two weeks and they say, you know, he says something like basketball's not been on my mind at all it wouldn't be normally but it's definitely not on my mind so the idea of like hey mike what are you gonna do right like you're coming back like <laughs> yeah. your dad was just murdered you coming back next season for a four beat like like that's kind of the the almost the tone it seemed like of that of that questioning and then a month before the season october 6th um is when is when he retires and just the idea of like that that timeline in comparison like it's it i don't know that we would ever see something like that again yeah, I mean, I, it, clearly he was already mentally spent, you know, at the time of his father's death. And I think that when he was gone, that just made it easier to just walk away because he was going to have to do something to just get his mind off of losing his dad and stepping away from the game that, you know, really brought him a lot of joy, you know, and not, not having his dad around to cheer him on, to be there to support him. I mean, the most powerful image of, you know, 
one of the most powerful images of the whole series is, you know, actually hearing the audio of him crying after winning that championship and knowing that his father wasn't there. Cause yeah, that's after those first moment. three, yeah. you saw his dad right sitting right next to him when he won that first championship and he's crying and, and uh, into the Larry O'Brien, his dad's right there rubbing his shoulders and, and calming him down. Like you, you understood the closeness, you understood that the drive, you know, um, I wish that, he would had been able to get into a little more than just saying he was my friend. I wish we had able to been able to hear just the closeness of them. Maybe it was tough. Maybe it's too hard for him to speak on his dad, you know, and maybe even be vulnerable talking about his dad. But I, I wish I could have heard him just really explain their bond and, and their their close uh, their closeness because you can tell that that was just the last straw. He was already on the verge of breaking, and that just broke him completely because. Um, you know, the, the the one of his rocks, one of his foundations was gone. You know, I keep saying this, but I think this doc has done a lot to humanize Mike to me. You know, just the idea of, again, one, the thin-skinnedness, the stuff that he had to use to drive him, um, the stuff, the places he'd have to go to motivate himself to get up for this stuff, to play at such a ridiculously high level, never take nights off. Like basically he never missed games. Like he straight up always played and he had to get himself somewhere mentally to, you know, like straight up burning out. Like, like to me, that's, that's showing you like this guy's not Superman. He can't be up for every game. Want to kill every single person he's playing against train maniacally actually deliver incredible performances deep into the playoffs, heavy minutes load season after season, night after night. And any burnt out, like that's, that that sounds so normal and human to me. Like he's doing all of this stuff, but it comes at a cost, right? Um, when when he talked about what like when he talked to people say he dismissed Gary Payton. And I'm like, I mean, <laughs> they're up 3-0. He's at the precipice of winning, you know, his first championship since 93 after the gambling stuff, after getting killed in the media, after his father died, after a year and a half off, baseball, all of that, after getting embarrassed. He got pantsed by Nick Anderson the year before, right? Like, after all of that, he's at the precipice of, you know, accomplishing his goal again. Like, the idea that he wasn't, Thinking about Gary Payton doesn't sound that crazy to me. Like, that sounds about right to me. Like, he's like, wow, I'm accomplishing this thing for the first time without my dad, who's been, you know, my biggest inspiration, supporter, who's been there with me every step of the way. Like I said, man, um, a lot of this stuff serves as a way to, to humanize the guy. Like, it's completely understandable to me from where I sit. God, nothing's funnier than him laughing at that. Gary Payton video. The club. <laughs> <laughs> just nothing funny. Again, serial killer type laugh <laughs> right yeah, there. Yeah, like right. it was just like. And but see, and the thing is, it didn't seem dismissive. He's like, I love that he's it, like obviously has some admiration. Oh, it, it, yeah, no, it had the and it had the whole like air of like, oh, Gary's a good little player. Like, no, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with him. Gary, yeah, he's, he's a good, good cat. Yeah. Like, he's competitive cat. The glove. <laughs> nah, the glove wasn't the reason. It, it did, didn't bother me. No, I didn't lose sleep because of the glove. Right. I just man, I could watch. I could watch that clip forever. The club. We're going to. We're going. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I guess we don't have anything else to watch. I just got to watch it again over and over at this point. Yeah, but the, also the media kind of going at Jordan during his baseball run. You know, the SI cover. You're embarrassing baseball. Um, the whole thing with 
you know, the, the run up to basically accusing him of having playing his, his habits, playing a role in his father's death. Like all that stuff was just brutal. Like that that side of it there, like when they were going into that stuff, I was just like, man, like the dude lost his dad and you're sitting there going like, yeah, it's cause you gamble. Yeah. Well, and imagine like it was just months before that, like, like two months before of them saying like, Hey, he's gambling too much. He has a problem. You know, like it's, it's led them to, you know, O2 deficit against the Knicks or whatever. Right. Like it was like to have that. And then two months later, your father's murdered. And then shortly after that, you know, people are writing, writing in a newspaper. This isn't like some random tweet, right? Like this is throwing out there, like writing articles in a newspaper that has to get edited, published, like approval of like, Hey, gotta we gotta wonder if this this gambling thing is what led to his death like the emotions of that fury and anger to of the dismissiveness of that right to then winning to then the roller coaster of your father dying to then being linked and you know borderline accused of of having a part in that is i don't know that anyone can can truly relate to that kind of thing no it just just does (laughs) like i don't know like that is that's a wild level of emotions to have to go through whether you're a psychopath or not and then the and then the whole conspiracy of David Stern suspending him, like, come on, dude! That oh no, that one I believe. That one, that one I believe. Yeah, no, that one. You just <laughs> you okay. believe that one? No, <laughs> joking, <right>? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, David, no, David Stern. That's I think they called him the ultimate capitalist, right? Like the idea that he, had, oh yeah, our best player on our on our most popular day. Yeah, you know what? We'll take him away for eighteen months. That makes sense I mean, like, from a money standpoint. Saw- if anything, like, I would have believed that he tried to clone him and put him on every team. That's that makes more sense to me <laughs> or, than that. I, or I could believe Mike saying, "Wait, y'all want to suspend me for what?" Three to five games. I'm taking 18 months off. Right, exactly. Yeah. See how you see how you last without me, you punks. And then the baseball and then the baseball strike like, oh, happens. Oh, you gonna suspend me for five? Yeah. I'm, I quit. And then I just imagine the baseball strike happens, and because they asked him to cross the picket lines, right? Then he's like, "Oh, you guys want me to play baseball now? I'm out of here. I'm going back to basketball." He was like, "All right, let me get back into the yeah." Actually- I do love the idea of like he had practiced a few times with them, and people were like, "Is he going to come back? Why else would he be practicing with them?" Of course, he was coming back. <laughs> <laughs> what stupid coverage do we have back then? <laughs> I mean, it's like following planes now, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I guess. Oh God, I forgot we were stalking Dan Gilbert's private plane. That's as good a point as any to to end this podcast. Is that horrible reminder of where we come? <laughs> Everything, everything's still the same and actually much worse. Uh, check out Michael Lee on The Athletic. Uh, Mo.Kill's got some great writing on Bleach Report. Obviously, Dave DeFore's doing some writing. The tri- Read the triangle piece with you and Seth Partner. That was fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, really good. That was fun. Uh, Waz checked out of here, but he's got uh, he's got a, a great article on the uh, political stance or lack thereof of Michael Jordan. And uh, again, check out The Athletic, theathletic.com slash free 90 days. Get a 90-day trial, or you can get 50% off for a year, whatever you want. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to The Athletic, do all that good stuff. Uh, for everybody, I'm Zach Harper. This is Basket Buds on the Back to Back Podcast.